This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio is looking for a new tattoo artist. Must be established with a strong portfolio and good work ethic. Stop by today at 13 Daggers across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Clarksville's ultimate tattoo studio. Tattoos, touch-ups, and consultations. See the artist's work online at 13daggerstattoo.com and get the custom experience you want with Killer Ink. Book today and get pricked by a pro. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio. Looking hard on the boulevard. Tobacco Road Sports Radio is so excited to be your home for Triad Sports. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! We heard you loud and clear. Our mission is to give you what you want. You know what I want. I've been asking for it for years. Give it to me! Give me what I want! The best sports talk in live sports in the Triad, period. What's up, everybody? Live Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Score once again with Brett Wiseman. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your home for Triad Sports coverage. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And if you think that's great, wait until you see what's next. It's going to be good. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Tune in at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And don't forget to download the new Roku channel, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another weekday of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and tonight's program is brought to you by 13 Daggers Tattoo. Are you a professional tattoo artist? Are you looking for work? Well, I'll tell you what, 13 Daggers Tattoo in Clarksville, Tennessee, is looking for you. Right now at the Fort Campbell Army Post, apply today. Ladies and gentlemen, what a great, great, great evening it is to be here tonight. And boy, do we have lots and lots and lots to talk about in the world of sports tonight. We have ACC Tournament Championship to talk about. We have March Madness. The seeds have been decided. We also have Charlotte FC losing a heartbreaker. And we have the quarterback carousel continues in the NFL, especially with Tom Brady. He's coming back. So lots and lots to talk about tonight. Then about 35 minutes from now, we're going to have former Major League Baseball player, most well-known, probably will playing with the Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. Vance Law will be joining us live. That's right, Vance Law will be joining us live. We want to thank everybody on all the different platforms for watching us. Please, please, please utilize the comment section here. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, we want to know about them. Go to the comment section right there on your page. Leave a comment, and we'll get to the comment or question as soon as we can. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we also want to thank everybody who's watching on Facebook. We are on Roku TV. That's right. If you want to sit down, have a nice adult beverage, eat some popcorn and watch us, go to Roku TV. Roku TV, the Northeast Streaming Sports Network, and you can watch us Monday through Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Also, if you happen to miss the show and want to hear the audio, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the leading sports radio station in the triad area, go to sports, uh, Tobacco Road, sportsradio.com. What a great, great evening, folks. And I want to start it off right away. We want to talk about we haven't been on since the ACC championship has been decided. And, you know, I, I hate to tell you I told you so. But you know what? I'm going to tell you I told you so. I told everybody, watch out for Virginia Tech. Watch out for Virginia Tech. And people thought I was crazy. They're the hottest team in college basketball right now. And they continue to be the hottest team there during this tournament. Not only do they beat North Carolina State, they beat Duke. And I'll tell you what, folks, what a game it was. Um, Virginia Tech won by the score of 82 to 67 over Duke. Hunter um, Couture, 17, count that, folks, 17 first-half points. He finished the game with the career-high 31 points, uh, 11 of 16 field goals, 7 of 9 from three-pointer. And the Virginia Tech Hokies are the ACC champions for the year 2022. Couture also scored nine of Virginia Tech's first 13 points in the second half. And Virginia Tech also out-rebounded the bigger blue Duke Blue Devils by a score. Listen to this, guys. They out-rebounded them 37-26. What's going on here? Where is Duke? And I've told you all season long, everybody that's crying in the North Carolina area, Duke is not as good as their record indicates. They have a tendency of beating teams, and, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. But they only beat them by the amount that they need to in order to be successful. They're not a team that blows people out. And I'll tell you what, this Duke team is not going to be there at the end. For all you Duke fans that think, oh, our team is going to, you know, Coach K's leaving, what a way to send him off with a national championship. Stop dreaming. This team is lucky if they can get by the first round in this tournament. Virginia shot, Virginia Tech shot 50% from the field. Um, Cavaluma had 19 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. It's my buddy Storm Murphy, 9 points, 6 assists. Meanwhile, uh, Duke shot 49% from the field, so they had a good shooting, but they were only 4 of 20. What I tell you, you stop their inside game, their outside game is so inconsistent, and they only shot 20%. That's right, 20% from three-point land. And, guys, I don't want to, you know, I say this on all the different shows and platforms that I'm on. Had the opportunity to be on the great Desmond Johnson's rundown this weekend, which is shown 10 a.m. weekly, by the way, at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And I said to him, you got to hit free throws to win in the tournament. What does Duke come out and do? They don't hit that free throws. Only 65.2%, 15 of 23 from the line, and 10 Duke turnovers actually turned into, um, I believe it was 16 points for Virginia Tech. And that's what you do. You create turnovers and take those opportunities and score. And that's what a fast-paced team like Virginia Tech does. Bonchero for North Carolina, uh, excuse me, for Duke, 20 points, 8 of 11 shooting. Wendell Moore, 11 points. Where was A.J. Griffin? He was nowhere. Everybody thinks he's a star now. He only has 10 points 
in this game. And once again, Virginia Tech is your ACC championship. Want to talk a little bit about March Madness, folks. March Madness beginning Tuesday night with, I guess they call it the playing game. So we'll go ahead and keep it as that. But I want to give you my opinions on the upcoming March Madness. First of all, the number one seeds in the tournament, if you have not already heard, was Gonzaga in the West, Baylor in the East, Arizona in the South, Kansas in the Midwest. Not a lot you can argue about that. And I'm going to tell you something. I want everybody to listen carefully. Who the hell cares where you're ranked as long as you get in the tournament? Everybody gets into there. Rank this. They rank that. Hey, I want to rank one. I want to rank eighth. I want to rank 16th. Who cares? At the end of the day, it's about winning basketball games, not where you're ranked. I don't care if you're 16 or you're ranked number one seed. At the end of the day, in order to be successful in March Madness, you are going to have to beat good teams along the way. Who cares where you're ranked? Stop making so much of the rankings and talk about the matchups. Talk about the matchups. You know, and I'll tell you right now, if I was that Auburn Tigers team, who was a second-ranked seed, um, I would tell you what. I would be scared the first game they're playing. I'm not saying Auburn's going to lose, but they're playing a tough Jacksonville State team that has an incredible offensive program. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but if there's going to be an upset in this tournament, I would question whether that could be the game that the upset happens. Now, my picks from the four different brackets, four different brackets, folks, my pick in the West is not Gonzaga. Everybody takes Gonzaga. They're the favorite. Arkansas is going to win that, that part of the country out in the West. So I look for them to, re, to go ahead and win that section uh, and get to the final four. Number two is Baylor. Baylor, I believe, is the best team. I love the way this team plays. Everybody contributes on this Baylor team. And when you define the word team, I don't think there's a program out there that can come as close as Baylor does when it comes to playing as a team. As far as in the South, you know, Arizona looks to be able to run away with that. Arizona, although they did lose the other night, they just play basketball the way they've been playing all season. They will get into the Final Four. And then in the Midwest, I believe that uh, Kansas is going to win the Midwest. Now, I do have some dark horses. I'm going to pick one team that could shock people in each of these different regionals. Number one, when you talk about the West, watch out for ninth-ranked Memphis. Memphis is playing some good basketball. They could be streaky, and they're a lot better team than a lot of people give them credit for. In the East, you've seen them play. They won the ACC championship, hottest team in basketball. I believe they have won now their last 15 of 17 games. The dog horse in the East sectional could be Virginia Tech. Watch out. They are playing some unbelievable basketball. Then. In the South, if I have to pick a Cinderella or a surprise team that could go ahead and give Arizona some trouble, that would be the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee is playing some good basketball right now. They are streaking. I always tell people, 
when you talk about March Madness, it's not who has the best record. Look what Auburn did early in the year. 19 straight wins. But what they lose? Like two out of the last five or three out of the last five? They lost. They are not a hot team. It's the team that is playing the best basketball entering this tournament that could do the most damage. Watch out for Tennessee. And then in the Midwest, it may surprise some of you, but I would say Creighton. Something about Creighton worries me. They are under the radar. They're ninth seeded right now. And I just have this weird feeling that I'm not going to say they're going to win it, but they can cause some trouble to some people along the way before uh, Kansas goes ahead and wins that sectional. Um, I mentioned about Jacksonville and Auburn, and people say, why are you scared about Jacksonville State playing Auburn? I mentioned the great, great offense. They won the last four out of five. They are a great field goal team, a great, 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 great three-point shooting team. The problem with Jacksonville State, which could cost them in this game, if this game comes down to a free-throw game, Auburn will win this game because Jacksonville State does not do very well on the free throw line. Now, either does Auburn, but they are better than Jacksonville State. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our first break. Wow, 15 minutes into the show, and we've just got done talking some college basketball. Love to go ahead and see some comments, folks. I'm fired up. I want you fired up. Go ahead. Leave a comment. We want to hear what you have to say right here on Frankly Speaking Sports. When we come back, we're going to start it off with some Charlotte FC soccer news. We'll be back right after this message from your local stations. Did you know that tattooing dates back to the Stone Age? Did you know that tattoos were once a symbol of high society? Did you know that Theodore Roosevelt had a tattoo? Did you know that 13 Daggers has been serving the area for nearly a decade? Whether you want bright, vibrant colors or depth built from black and gray, let 13 Daggers create a custom piece of art just for you. Schedule your appointment and come get pricked by the pros. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio, across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Walk-ins, always welcome. 13 we love sports. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. Not only do we love sports, but we love to debate sports. He was bad in play. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that's you? The new boy. Mike, 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 Mike look like a bulldog. He bad in him too. He the whip Mike Tyson there. He whip all the ass. For the best sports analysis in the triad. What about Rocky Marciano? In-depth local coverage of your favorite schools and teams. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't And of course, the best sports debate in the triad. It's Joe Lewis's ass. Welcome to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. You're welcome. I don't know how old it was to get it Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. want to thank everyone on so many different platforms. We are growing and growing and growing and growing. Want to go ahead. We're going to talk about the Charlotte 
uh, FC soccer team brought to you tonight by Sports Carolina Monthly. If you want some of the best reading in the Carolina area, go to sportscarolinamonthly.com and read all the different articles talking about all the different teams here in the triad area. I'll tell you what, folks. Those of you that missed this soccer game yesterday between the Charlotte FC and the uh, the Atlanta, um, I'm sorry, I spelled the word hot wrong, it looks there. See that? The uh, Charlotte FC and Atlanta United, you missed one hell of a game yesterday night. What an incredible, incredible game. Unfortunately, it was a heartbreaking loss. I mean, this Charlotte FC team, the first 40 minutes they come out of the game, they look terrible. They look terrible. I mean, I, when I say terrible, I mean that with a capital T. Then something hit. Something hit in the game. All of a sudden, with four minutes, uh, with about with 40 minutes into the game, they were a different team. They woke up. They started putting the ball on net. And then history came here um, for the Charlotte area. History that will go down where everybody will now remember the name Adam Armour when they think of the Charlotte FC. Let's go ahead and show it to you here on Frankly Speaking Sports. And there it is. You see Bender. Bender kicks it in. He's looking inside Armour, the header. He scores! Oh, history here for the Charlotte FC. Adam Armour, first goal in the history of Charlotte soccer. Unbelievable. And yes, it was, folks. Unbelievable it was for the Charlotte FC. Um, you know, they went ahead and they outplayed. They outplayed the Atlanta United considerably in the second half. But a late, late, late goal by uh, Jake Marini um, with 96 minutes into the game. That means six minutes of extra time. He scores. Atlanta United wins 2-1. to one. Um, Joseph uh, Martinez had the other goal as well. I thought Christian Kalina once again had a solid, solid, solid game in net for the Charlotte FC. Unfortunately, the last goal by Marini actually deflected off a Charlotte play and went into the net. It was about a minute left in the game when that happened. Charlotte didn't have enough time. But I'll tell you what, what a great game. If you're a Charlotte FC fan, uh, you need to be proud of this team. You really, really need to be proud of this team. And, you know, Ben Bender yesterday playing in his first game, starting in his first game at midfielder said, you know, frankly speaking, sports had a chance to catch up with them at the press conference after the game. Let's go ahead and pull up that footage and see what uh, Ben had to say after the game. And was he comfortable playing in that game yesterday? Let's hear from him. Thank you. Very good. Um. Ben, I want to ask you, first of all, congratulations on your first start. I thought you played a tremendous, tremendous game. I got two questions for you here. Number one, in that start, how comfortable did you feel 
out there being a starter because by the play, you look like you were really comfortable and you fit in fine. And my second question is the first two games of the season, the Charlotte FC has had a lot of trouble getting offensive opportunities. Then at about the 40th minute mark of the first half, all of a sudden something clicked. And you actually, in my opinion, except for the goal late by Atlanta, you outplayed Atlanta in the second half. What was it about after that 40th minute, that click, that didn't click in those first two games? Yeah, so um, the first question, I was, you know, left mid is not I, – I played there before, so I was pretty comfortable. I mean, I know – some of the movements that uh, Miguel wants wants us to do. Um, so, yeah, going into that, I was I was fairly comfortable. Um, and then the second question, I think the first half is always tough to break down the opponent. Um, I think that we started to to play more composed, I'd say, and then the the opportunities came from there. Um, we were we were getting down the flanks and whipping balls in um, to the striker. I think that was one thing that helped. Um, and yeah, Carol had a couple of good chances. Um, Danny did too. Um, and yeah, I think I think just whipping the balls in from from the wing are are really good because um, the the defense expects you to go down the middle sometimes, um, and that that's something that. Uh, Christian Latanzio and I have been talking a lot about recently because, you know, when you get in that final third, it's really hard to break, break a team down. Um, so we've been trying to work on those, uh, you know, penetrating down the wings first. So that's, that's one thing we've been improving on. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Ben Bender in his first game yesterday had an outstanding game. He was all over the place. And he's right. Carol Swindersky had two beautiful attempts that were created by Bender. Unfortunately, the headers did not go in. But to see them offensively wake up like that and get opportunities were incredible. And I mentioned earlier, a huge, huge, huge day for Adam Armour as he will go down in history Forever and ever and ever, he can tell his grandchildren, he can tell his children about scoring the first goal in Charlotte FC history. Let's go ahead and hear from him. to get the most out of each other. We talk a lot off the field and, and we've been pretty close on the team, all of us, all the, the younger guys. So I feel like it's important to, to help each other get the most out of it. All right, okay. we will uh, end it here with Larry. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, this is Larry Frank from Frankly Speaking Sports and you scored the first goal. First of all, congratulations on a feat that you'll go on in forever be named in Charlotte FC history. But how important, not just for you, but for the team in general, uh, Adam, how important was to get that first goal of the season, sort of that monkey off your back? So now does it take the pressure off, you know, the other guys on the team to not 
worry so much about getting that goal because after you scored that goal, the chances just kept coming mm-hmm. and coming and coming. Is this a pressure breaker for the team? I think it's important for sure. It's kind of like ripping the bandaid off, yes. as they say. So I feel like now that the first goal has been scored, we we have the chances, we have the quality. I feel like the goals are going to start coming and coming. So I feel like it's going to be um, a lot of confidence gained for the team. It's not the result we wanted, and it, it definitely hurts to, to give up the game like that. But I feel like going forward, we're going to have the confidence to score goals and, and keep the keep the momentum going. And real quickly, if I if I may, how disappointing was it, Adam, to know you guys played well, especially in the second half? You pretty much outplay that team and know that you lose a tough game on a score that was actually deflected off one of our own players. I mean, how tough is that um, this loss for you guys? Yeah, it hurt, man. It hurt because we we battled the whole game from the beginning. The first half was tough on us. Second half. We had some opportunities um, to take the lead, uh, and it hurt. But it's it's a step in the right direction. We know that we have the quality and we have the chances to win a game. Um, we concede two goals that that we shouldn't really be conceding, and we know that next weekend's another opportunity at home to get that first win. All right, thank you, Adam. Yes, it is. Next week they play the New England Revolution right here at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. We need to pack the heck out of that place. Not just the 75,000 people we had game one just to show off game one. We need to continue to bring that momentum and bring that energy into the Bank of America Stadium because this team is getting close, folks, and it's only a matter of time before they go ahead and prevail. Before we go to break, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the NFL and all these quarterback situations that, uh, you know, we hear and we hear and we hear about it. Uh, Let me see if I can get that up here. A little background for you. There we go. But I'll tell you what, another surprise this weekend took all the headlines. All the headlines is the return of Tom Brady. Here's a guy, and you know, when you think about it, folks, you know, I was ready for him to retire. He said he was going to retire. I thought he was going to retire. But, you know, at the end of the day, can you blame the guy? Listen to last year's statistics, folks. 5,300 yards passing, 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. You know, at the end of the day, folks, most people that are age 20 to 30 don't have years like that. Tom Brady can still play the game, but more importantly, Tom Brady still has a desire to play the game, and that's why he's coming back as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, quarterback. And I said this from day one, and I'll say it again. He will retire when Bruce Arians retires. And I think both of them at the end of next year, now this, I did not hear any, you know, comments or any, you know, information or inside sources that have told me this my opinion is that they both retire after this upcoming year with the tampa bay buccaneers and other quarterback news okay everybody knows about russell wilson everybody knows about aaron Rodgers. guess what how about mitch trubisky two-year deal um the 27 year old he gets with the pittsburgh steelers now remember this guy was the second overall pick in the 2017 draft um 
But, you know, he's going to battle with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph has nothing, okay? So when you're Pittsburgh and you look at this deal and what they did, if you could find somebody better than what you already have, you should make the opportunity to get him. And I will tell you, Trubisky is better than Mason Rudolph. And I'm not saying that's saying a lot, but if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you should be happy today that Mason Rudolph, although they say there will be a competition, there's no competition. Trubisky doesn't win this battle. Something is wrong. He started 50 games in four seasons with the Bears. He's 29 and 21. He's completed 64.1% of career passes, 64 touchdowns, 38 interceptions, also has close to 1,100 yards rushing and nine rushing touchdowns. So he has the ability to scramble and make things happen. He also made the Pro Bowl in 2018. So when you look at this guy, I'll tell you what, there is a lot more potential in him than Pittsburgh currently has on that roster and if this guy doesn't start based on the quarterback situation, I think they have Haskins, Dwayne Haskins over there too, was I believe a number one pick um, that could also battle him for that position. But folks, if I'm a betting man based on what they have right now, unless they go ahead and get somebody else, I believe Trubisky will be the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh. When we come back, folks, we're going to talk a little bit Baseball, some big things happening. Baseball's going crazy, baby, now that they're back. We're going to talk about that. And then former Major League third baseman who has played for such teams as the Athletics, the Expos, um, I believe the White Sox, the Cubs, maybe even the Pirates, will have Vance Law on with us. So don't go away. We have an incredible, incredible show still left here on Frankly Speaking Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back right after this message from our sponsors, 13 Dagger Tattoo at a Clocksville. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio is looking for a new tattoo artist. Must be established with a strong portfolio and good work ethic. Stop by today at 13 Daggers across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Clarksville's ultimate tattoo studio. Tattoos, touch-ups, and consultations. See the artist's work online at 13daggerstattoo.com and get the custom experience you want with Killer Ink. Book today and get pricked by a pro. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio. Looking hard on the boulevard. Here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, we ask the tough questions. Hey, you got any left-handed footballs? We're never afraid to tell you how we feel. Come on, we look like the damn bad news bears. We'll debate sports. We'll debate anything. And you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther King. Not the winner. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. No matter what, Tobacco Road Sports Radio has you covered. I'm going to come right back at him. Soldier. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. speaking sports i am your host larry frank and boy oh boy what a terrific terrific show so far we have had for you 
and we will continue to keep it going here. Reminder of all you fans on different platforms that are listening, please leave a comment if you have a question, thought, concern, something related to the program that you would like us to discuss. Please go ahead and do so. The show only gets better and better and better when you go ahead and interact. Remember, this ain't my show. It's our show. So let's go ahead and get involved and ask some questions. Want to also thank our sponsors, 13 Dagger Tattoo out of Clarksville, Tennessee, located at the Fort Campbell Army Post. Are you a professional tattoo artist? Are you looking for work? Then contact 13 Daggers Tattoos because they are looking for you. Also want to remind everybody, we will be on tomorrow, 11 a.m. You can watch, listen to the audio on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com beginning at 11 a.m. Also remind you folks, if you have not yet tried Tobacco Road SportsRadio.com, what the heck are you waiting for? This is an unbelievable radio station, unbelievable shows, and every Saturday you can go ahead and watch the rundown with Desmond Johnson. That's right, where he talks about all different news that's going on in the world of sports. That's the rundown with Desmond Johnson, 10 a.m. Saturday on Tobacco Road SportsRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about five minutes away from having former Major League third baseman Vance Lore on with us. But before we get to Vance, you know, some big, big news. If you're an Atlanta fan, Atlanta Braves fan, I don't know if you're happy or sad today. If you're me, you're a little bit sad today. Not that I'm a huge Braves fan, but I am a huge Freddie Freeman fan. And from all looks of it, Freddie Freeman is done in Atlanta. And you ask me why? I'm going to tell you why. Today, the Braves acquired slugging first baseman Matt Olson from the Oakland A's. The two-time Gold Glove winner, 252 career average, 142 homers, 859 OPS over six seasons with the Oakland Athletics. He had 39 homers and had 111 RBIs last season. So a lot of power added. If, if Freddie Freeman was going, which I think Andrelopoulos the GM over there really believed that he was. He had to make a move. He had no choice. And he got the right guy to fill that position. As far as Freddie Freeman goes, you know, 2020 NL MVP and five-time All-Star with Atlanta. We don't know where he's going. All thoughts are the L.A. Dodgers, but he has yet, you know, to sign with the team. So we will have to go ahead and keep you posted on that. But, you know, ever since baseball came back, it's been going nuts with this free agency and trades. It's almost like the trade deadline, so to speak. You're going to see a lot more action in the next couple of days. We'll keep you up to date as much as we can. At Frankly Speaking Sports, the fastest and quickest way to get the baseball updates, folks, I'm telling you, don't care if you're listening to this show live or on the recording, go to Twitter at Larry Frankus, that's a U.S. at the end of Frank. Larry Frankus. And you will belong to the Frankly Speaking Sports Twitter page, which has the quickest, most updated reality sports news in any way you can find it. We have the best insiders that get the accurate information and they get it to us as quickly as possible. If we don't believe it and we don't trust it, 
we don't post it on our Twitter page. So go to the Twitter page at Larry Frank. It's also YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking Sports, besides our Facebook page. Reminder, we are on Roku TV. If you're familiar with Roku TV and you have a smart TV, you go ahead, get Roku on your television, which should be there hopefully already. You download Northeast Streaming Sports. And not only do you get to watch Frankly Speaking Sports Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time, but guess what? All other shows are on there. I believe they got like 15 different shows throughout the week. You can have coffee with Mac Attack in the morning at 6 a.m. and he gives you the latest news. How that? What a better way to start the day? Northeast Streaming Sports. Well, we are a couple minutes away from having former Major League Baseball third baseman Vance Lore on with us. Uh, he's scheduled for 9:40, so um, I know he's already seen the message, so he should be hopping on here very, very quickly. But you know, what is it great, folks, to have baseball back? It felt like something was missing. And, you know, baseball really risked it because they had a chance of going without baseball during March Madness. You don't want to compete with March Madness. Come on. People are going to stop to forget about you. But they did a great job. The players, I am so, so proud of the Major League Baseball players. And, you know, not just for doing what they stand for and believe, but the one thing about Major League players that I love they care about the next generation of Major League players. And, you know, if you're a Major League Baseball player coming up, you got to love that. And let's not forget what these guys do for you. So when the opportunity and time comes for you to take care of the next generation, you do the same thing that these guys are doing for you. But Major League Baseball, you know, who's going to win the American League East? Is it going to be the Yankees? Is it going to be the Rays? Is it going to be the Red Sox? How about those Blue Jays? They're flying high this year. A lot could be said. Not only that, you got the NL East. Can the Atlanta Braves repeat? Or is it going to be somebody out west like the LA Dodgers coming back to claim another World Series? We're going to keep you updated. We're going to keep previewing as the month goes on. Different leagues, and we'll have a Major League Baseball preview show coming up as well. So Major League Baseball is back, fans. Get excited. You know, we are big baseball fans here, as we are all sports, but especially when it comes to baseball, you know, I grew up in the New York area. I was a big Mets fan for, shoot, over 40 years. You know, then I lived in Tampa Bay, obviously, and I saw the existence of the Tampa Bay Rays. What a beautiful thing to see the an expansion team come to your home uh, area that didn't have baseball. And of course, the Rays have done a tremendous job being there as far as putting a product on the field. The story about their attendance is for another day. Now, and that makes you wonder what other cities in America should be given a baseball team that currently don't have it. I'd love to hear your answers. I'd love to see your comment. But if you're asking me personally, Two of the areas, and I know a lot of people say Las Vegas. I have no problem with Las Vegas. Only thing about Las Vegas is you have a lots and lots and lots of tourists, just like you do in Florida. I honestly believe the two cities that delete should get a team first should be the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Folks, this AAA team, the Charlotte Knights, 
sits 11,000 people in that stadium, and they're sold out every single game or darn close to it. 11,000 people. And you say, well, they only have 11,000 people, Larry. They sell out. Come on, guys. That's more than the Devil Excuse me, I almost said Devil Rays. That's almost more than the Tampa Rays, or it is more than the Tampa Rays or the Miami Marlins get on any particular weeknight. Incredible. Incredible. Okay? So this Charlotte area definitely deserves one. Another one who has really, really come along and shown that they are a major league city is Nashville, Tennessee. They have the Predators. They have the Nashville Sound, which is the soccer team. And, of course, they have the Titans. So this is another big area that really, really likes uh, their sports out there. I think both of them would be a great, great fit. All right, let's find out what's going on. Okay. Let me tell him to go on his phone. Excuse me one sec, folks, as I go ahead. All right. He's going to try on his phone real quick, and we'll see if he can get on that way. If not, we'll go ahead and uh, see if that works for him. If not, we'll just call him up like always, folks. That's what we do. So give me a second here while he tries to come on. And we'll take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll have Vance Law. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back right after this. Father Tom is undefeated. It's going to hit Tom Brady eventually, too. It might be this year. Hopefully it's this year. And Matt LaFleur went to both of them and said, hey, remember that play you drew up on notebook paper on Thursday? Yeah, run it now. Like, that's the thing that's kind of tripping me up here. We've been clowning Kyrie Urban and his behavior for the past five years. I feel like I just got a point, like on a show or something. (laughs) (laughs) Three, two, one. Kersville, you've got state champions coming back home. The East Forsyth Eagles have just won Class 4A state championship. On the line with NASCAR superstar Bubba Wallace. Bubba, what type of music are you listening to right now? Do you listen to anything particular to get you hyped before a race? Uh, I'm in like the heavy metal stuff, like the screamo stuff, stuff you can't understand. <laughs> that's, that's right up my alley. Tie game at 41. Murph takes the snap. Fade right corner of the end zone for Timmons. He oh bobbled it and then honed it in in the right corner of the end zone. Terrell Timmons Jr. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. We're moments away from having former Major League third baseman Vance Law on with us. He's trying to connect right now. He just sent me a message. As I bring up a couple of different, uh, let's see what I have up here, uh, just in case I need them, if we need to go to the phone. So we'll try, and we'll see if he's coming up here any minute. Let me go ahead, and as I talk to him and talk to you at the same time. Is it working? All right, as he gets his phone and he tries to come on now. But Major League Baseball, we'll talk to Vance. You know, amazing thing about Vance Law is when he is actually, when he turns on the TV today and he watches the Chicago White Sox, he is actually watching the same manager that he actually played for when he was a manager, and that is 
Tony Larusa. So you know that that that's kind of incredible. So um, we're gonna have in a moment. We'll have Vance. I can see him now. Uh, let me go ahead and see if we can get all this up there for him, and then we'll go ahead and get him on. All righty. There we go here. Let's go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to introduce to you on the 13 Dagger Sports Hotline. That's right. 13 Dagger is located in Clarksville, Tennessee at the Fort Campbell Army Post. We are proud to have in our studio, let's welcome former Major League Baseball third baseman and actually former Brigham Young baseball head coach as well. Let's welcome in Vance Law. Vance, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm very good. Thank you, Larry. Uh, thank you so very, very much for joining us today. Um, I really do appreciate it. It's so great, Vance, to actually say to you, baseball is back. <laughs> I completely agree. I'm really happy that they finally came to an agreement and uh, hoping that it's, it's uh, a fair deal for both sides. And I'm glad that we're back in spring training and ready to go. You know, Vance, you March 1982, you traded to the Chicago White Sox. I believe that was the first time in your career that you were ever traded from one team to another team. Um, what was it like, first of all, for the first time in your career to be traded? Well, for me, the first time was devastating because I had grown up a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. My father had played for the Pirates for his entire career. I'd hoped to make a long career there in Pittsburgh and to be called into the office uh, by manager Chuck Tanner. And I go in there and the general manager is there and a couple of the coaches. And I, I thought I actually thought that I was going to be sent down for about the fourth time uh, because that was the kind of thing that uh, always seemed to happen. And instead, they said, we've decided to trade you to the Chicago White Sox. We need pitching and they needed an infielder. So uh, that's why I am. That's why uh, uh, you're going to Chicago. And so I, I left that clubhouse pretty much in tears. It was uh, devastating to me because I will, like I say, I wanted to be a Pittsburgh Pirate. But it turned out to be the turning point of my entire uh, my entire career, I had the opportunity now to work with the great hitting coach, Charlie Lau, who uh, turned my career around. Yeah, I know his son really well. Let me ask you this, uh, Vance. You know, how hard was it for you growing up? First of all, your dad was a Cy Young award-winning pitcher. Did You ended up playing in the infield. Was there ever a time in your career where you wanted to pitch like your dad? Well, I actually got uh, seven appearances. You did. I know that. And hey, <laughs> but, 3.83 but no. ERA, buddy. I mean, that's more respectable than guys today. Yeah, well, <laughs> they were all mop-up games. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure how intense the uh, – or how intent the hitters were that I was facing. But uh, it was fun to get on the mound. But no, in reality, I never thought about wanting to be a pitcher. I wanted to be out there. Uh, on a daily basis and and be a regular a regular infielder slash outfielder wherever I needed to be uh, wherever they needed me to play. We are talking to Vance Law, former MLB third baseman. Vance, 1984, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get this power surge. It's like, you know, <laughs> you got hit by lightning or something and boom, you hit 17 home runs. 
what, what talk about that year and what was it that all of a sudden the power side of you came out? Well, the 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 thing that I I know really helped me was starting to really understand the principles that Charlie taught. And that was weight shift into the baseball. I was always a back foot pivot on the on the backside type hitter. And you just don't get the the full momentum of your body weight going into the baseball. Uh, Greg Luzinski and Jimmy Leland, our third base coach, they pulled me aside one time and said, look, you're, you're 6'2", 195 pounds. You shouldn't be hitting three or four home runs during the course of the season. You know, there's no reason in the world you can't hit 15 to 20. So start looking for pitches and looking for opportunities to drive the baseball into the gaps and, uh, you know, and get pitches that are elevated that you might be able to hit out of the ballpark. And that changed my, that really changed my perspective at the plate. Instead of trying to, I was always taught to hit the ball up the middle the other way. And instead, these guys talked to me and said, listen, you can hit the ball out of the ballpark. We've seen it. We just need you to, to start looking to drive the baseball more. And it was really a change of mindset more than anything physical. Fans, how, how weird or how crazy is it when you turn on a TV today and you watch the Chicago White Sox play, which is one of the teams you did play for, and you see the same Don manager managing today that was managing <laughs> you back then? That's, it, it's really different. He doesn't run as well as he, <laughs> as he did when he goes out to argue with an umpire. Uh, but Tony's mind is still sharp. Uh, he really is one of the first managers that ever started playing the right on right, left on left, uh, you know, bullpen game. And uh, some people blame him for having three and a half, four hour games now because they change pitchers so often. But that he was uh, already into that those kinds of stats that a lot of the analytics are, are now using. And uh, so Tony was well away, uh, well before his time in uh, in terms of understanding how he was going to manipulate the game the way he wanted it to play and who was going to face who throughout the lineup. What was he like to play for? A very good communicator. He was demanding. Uh, he was fair. Uh, he let you knew, know where you stood. And he established roles for every player on the team so that you pretty well knew. And he was very, very good at maintaining those roles. If he told you you were going to be a late inning guy coming off the bench uh, to hit for somebody in the seven, eight, and nine slot, if it came down to, to crunch time and that situation came up, he would put that guy in. And you, you, so you knew where you stood. He, I knew that I was going to be playing. Uh, I knew I would be playing uh, center field against certain left-handed pitchers. Against right-handers, I was going to be playing third base. But he didn't feel that uh, uh, our left-handed hitting center fielder at the time was very successful that first year hitting against left-handed pitching. And so he said, you're going to play some center field against left-handers. And he was true to his word. Um other guys like Mike Squires, one of the best fielding first basemen ever. Uh, we knew that he was going to be playing defense if we had the lead in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning because he could save runs. And he stayed true to his word. So it was that kind of uh, communication that he had with his players, with the entire team, 
some guys didn't buy into it as well that first year, but my second year, you know, the year we, the winning ugly year, boy, I'll tell you what, we really, we pulled it together and everybody, everybody bought in and it was a fabulous season. Yes, it was. You know, 1987, you were, the year before you were playing for the Expos, they didn't renew your contract. For all the listeners that are listening to the show tonight, explain to them the mental and emotional side, especially going through free agency for the first time in your career. Uh, boy, that's, that's, that's a rough one because uh, I, was, I was coming off a decent year uh, in 1987 with the, with the Expos. And I had some off-the-field issues. I had a daughter with a brain tumor in 1986. I credit that for kind of having a down, a down season in 86. But I played well in 85 and 87, and I had two option years in 88 and 89. If people will recall, and I know it was a long time ago, but if you'll recall, uh, Andre Dawson the previous year left Montreal because they offered him an absurd contract that was not close to his playing abilities. He said, I'm not signing here because I, I know that I can get better in the free market. Well, he tested the market and there was nothing there. Nobody would offer any more. So he just signed a blank contract with the Chicago Cubs. And I think he played for 500 or something like that there when the going rate for somebody of his caliber was a million, five, two million, somewhere in there. Uh, the same thing kind of happened to me. Uh, I became a free agent once they said that I wasn't, uh, they weren't going to renew my option or my contract. And uh, I said, uh, and then they offered me a 40% cut on top of what I made the previous year after having a good year. And I said, you're not going to do that to me. And I, you know, and, and me stick around. I'm not going to accept it. They said, go ahead and try free agency. So I did. And wouldn't you know, the same thing happened. I wasn't offered anything more than what they offered me to come back to Montreal. And I was true to my word. I, I told them I wasn't coming back. I don't care if I go and play for less somewhere else. And I went to uh, Chicago for the Cubs and uh, played, played for the Cubs in 88 and 89 for the same amount that uh, Montreal offered me. And I, I know that Andre... Myself, Tim Raines, uh, other guys in Montreal were held to those collusion uh, problems. And uh, we were kind of the examples that uh, the Players Association used in order to prove collusion by the owners, meaning that they were all colluding to, to really right. knock down free agency and free agency signings. So that's how it went. Yep, and I, I tell you, it was really disappointing because I was uh, – I felt like we were having a good, a good team in Montreal. We had a chance to win. We were competitive. And uh, to feel like they just kind of shunned, you know, the three of us was really pretty rough. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, it just – you kind of took it out on the field the next year because you ended up having your best season in Chicago. What, 293 <laughs> average, 163 hits, 70 RBIs, and I believe – I'm correct that year you were named to the all-star team as well so talk about that year and what seemed to click together for you to have that type of year well that was a crazy year because I started spring training I went to 
I went to Arizona where in Mesa, Arizona for the Cubs spring training. And I really was trying to prove that I belonged. You know, you, you, you really want your teammates to like you and think, Hey, this was a good deal. We got him. They had gotten rid of a real good player uh, in Moreland, Keith Moreland. And I was going to be filling in there at third base. I was going to be the third baseman. I got off to a terrible spring training start. And after about an 0 for 30, uh, Don Zimmer called me into his office and said, will you just relax? We know you can play. And I don't care if you go O for the rest of spring training, you're going to be opening day third baseman. So just relax and play. And from then on, it just turned all the way around. I started driving the ball, started knocking in runs, two out RBI. Uh, and I got off to a great start during the season, I think with a, with a 17 or 18 game hitting streak which just uh, increased your confidence. And as a player, success breeds confidence and confidence breeds more success. And that's the way I looked at it. And I don't believe I had a more than a three or four game over uh, the entire season. I played, gosh, a hundred and close to 160 games during that season and had 163 hits, like you said. And uh, uh, by the sports writers, I was actually named the most valuable Cub that year. Yep. which was a great honor because we had six guys that year make the all-star team. And, you know, the, to me, that was a real honor to, to be considered that uh, in 1988 uh, and also to make an all-star team. That was uh, to go there with five of my teammates, with uh, Andre, with Sandberg, with Maddox, uh, Rafael Palmero, and Sean Dunstan. That was uh, a really fun season. You know what's weird about that team um, when you look back at it, Vance, is you look at all that talent on that team, yet you didn't have as a team a very successful year, did you? No, we didn't. It, it wasn't nearly as good as the following year in 1989. We had, a, we had a real good team, and I think a lot of it was we had a young pitching staff. We had a couple of veterans in Scott Sanderson and uh, Rick Sutcliffe, and they were the mainstays. Maddox was just coming into his own, he, but he was still, gosh, 23 or 24. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, you could tell he was going to be something special. And uh, But our bullpen was very young. A lot of guys that had just come up, they were rookies coming out of AAA. And, uh, you know, so I think our pitching staff matured in 89, whereas we, you know, we lost, we lost some games uh, because of our youth. In, in, on the pitching staff, I believe that first year, but uh, boy, they sure showed up the next year. And guys like uh, oh, Jeff Pico and uh, oh man, uh, Bilecki, Mike Bilecki really pitched right. well for us. You know, those kind of guys really, really were good players for us. Now, you know, you played for some great coaches. You know, you said Zimmer, you talked about Tanner, we talked about LaRusa. And later on, after your baseball career, I know you became head coach of BYU. I, I know you were there for a while as their head coach. Did any of the coaches that you played with influence you to become a coach? Well, that wasn't my, <clears throat> excuse me, that wasn't my intention when I retired from baseball. I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I wanted to be home because I, we had, we have five children and, you know, my wife had done 
the majority of rearing those children while I was playing. Although we tried very hard to stay together uh, during the season, wherever I played, the family would come there as well. But uh, I felt like I wanted to just kind of be at home and coaching. You know, I was getting kind of bored after the first six months. And I, I actually tried to hook up again to play one more year, see if somebody would uh, give me an opportunity, but that didn't go well. And so I, I pretty much retired and uh, was invited to help out with a junior college. And that's where I started. Then I did, I did that for two seasons. Then I went to a high school and coached there for five seasons and won a state championship. And I thought, hey, this is pretty fun. I enjoy doing this. And uh, then I applied for the BYU job that opened up and I got that right here in my hometown and stayed there for 13 years. But I would say all of those guys all the, all the managers that I played for had an impact on me. The positivity of Chuck Tanner, the communication of, of Tony La Russa, uh, the good-naturedness of uh, Don Zimmer. And uh, he was kind of a hunch manager, and he liked to do things a little bit uh, off-kilter. I mean, one time he had me uh, hit and run with the bases loaded in Shea Stadium. And uh, so I didn't quite go that far, but I like to do the hit and run. I, I, I had a couple of guys that were capable of doing those things. So I like to play the game that way. Uh, Buck Rogers was always a, a positive influence also. And I thought that he manages pitching staff well. So I tried to take something from each one of those managers, which I believe helped me have some success as a coach. And uh, hopefully my, my, the players that played for me learned how to play the game the right way. We're talking to Vance Law, former MLB third baseman. Vance, as a former infielder, I have to ask you this question because one of the biggest topics that they discuss nowadays in Major League Baseball is the shift, whether they should keep allowing it or whether they should go back to the way the game was meant to be with two infielders on one side and two on the other. What's your perspective on the shift, and do you think it should stay or do you think it should go away? Well, I always fault the hitters for causing this problem because if, if hitters could hit the ball the other way, we wouldn't have this issue right now. But Correct. so many I know are getting paid to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And so with two, you know, with two outs, what's the purpose of, you know, a power left-hander shooting the ball the other way, you know, just to get on first base? His job is to hit a home run and score a run. So, uh you know, it's really the player's fault that it's gotten to the position where everybody started to shift. But as for me, I feel like you can always shift to a point, but I like to see at least two guys on both sides of the infield. And I won't be surprised if it turns out that at some point in the very near future, they try to, to limit how much you can shift, that maybe you got to start the shortstop at least on, on the third base side. Uh, or for a left-handed hitter or a right-handed, you got to start that second baseman on the, on the first base side of second base. So that's my feeling. I, I just, and, it, and as I was a coordinator for the White Sox in their player development system, I would go around and watch and I'd see a line drive hit up the middle. I'm going, yes, you know, one of our guys hit it. And yes, we're going to, and I look up and the shortstop standing right there. And, you know, it just doesn't, it seems like it doesn't reward a solid at bat for some players too. So I'm in favor of uh, 
you know, modifying the, the rules so that they just can't put eight guys or seven guys on the, on the right side of the infield for, for a left-handed hit, a left-handed hitter. You know, Vance, I like the style that you talk about. I, I grew up in an era where small ball bunting, hitting and running, stealing bases, and doing those small things to manufacture runs is the way baseball was played. Do you think that we could possibly get back to that game if they do take the shift, and like you said, and implement it back like the old way, two sides on, you know, two infielders on each side of second base? I wish I could tell you yes on that, Larry, but I think that the game has changed so far now with the analytics and the and the percentage people that that are now hired and and really run the show on most on in most organizations. I, I wish that I could say it'll go back the other way, but uh, you know they've got all their numbers that match up and and say, you know the the percentages of bunning a guy over first and second, nobody out, and scoring. A couple of those guys are less. The percentages are less than letting everybody swing away, which is hard for me to believe. Because it was, uh, I mean, if I, if I, if I'm managing and I got a chance to bunt a guy from first and second late in the ball game and get second and third with one out, I'd much rather have that than first and second and one out, where somebody hits a double into a double right. play and we don't score anybody. A sack fly at least is going to score us a run. And I like to take my chances with at least getting one run out of a out of an inning. And if a guy gets a base hit, we score two. But uh, the 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 percentages show that that's not what happens uh, over the course of 162. Now we had a man when I uh, was in the Cleveland Indians organization. We have a manager, Tito Tito Frank Francona, who who still will on occasion go against that. And he faces, he's got reasons though. He has a reason. And if you have a reason as a, as a manager, you have the ability to, to talk to upper management and say, this is when I'm going to do it. And you got to have the right hitter at the plate that you've got confidence that can bunt the guy over that he's, he's not going to mess up in a bat. Uh, and you got guys that can run the bases. So, uh, he's not afraid to do some of those old school type plays. And I'm, I'm glad that there's a couple of guys that are still out there that uh, play the game the way I, I think it should be played. A few more questions. We'll let you run, Vance. You know, back in the day when you played, and unless I'm wrong, but I always remember the lineups being pretty consistent from one day to another, maybe with a small change here or there, but you never seen backup players, I think, playing as much as you do today unless a player was getting a day off. I mean, how do you explain to me, and especially you being a coach as well, how do hitters and players get in a rhythm if you're shuffling the lineup every single day? I think the Rays last year used, you know, over 100 different lineups in a 162-game season. I mean, doesn't that, from a player's perspective, isn't it odd to get in a rhythm when you – Keep getting days off in between. It's a it's a real mindset. I I would not have handled that very well. I don't believe because I felt like if I wasn't in the lineup, I was ticked. I was ticked the rest of the evening because I wanted to be I wanted to be in the in the lineup. That's how I kept my rhythm. I felt like I I kept my rhythm. Right. But I think so many of today's players have 
grown up and come up through the minor league system with the idea that lineups are going to change day to day. And I think they have the mindset that, hey, I'm ready to go when I'm called on. And it wasn't until later later in my career where maybe I wasn't playing every day, but I was playing the majority of the time, but I could take a day off and understand what the, what the manager was trying to do. But a platoon situation, I still feel like a right-hander has the ability to hit a right-handed pitcher. You know, and, and I, I just, I just, because that's who we faced our entire lives. Our entire lives we faced right-handers. It's not like this is something new. It was almost more difficult to face a left-hander as a right-handed hitter because we're not used to having the ball curve into us. We're always used to that slider going away. But I think it's a mental, a, a mental mindset now that the players have that uh, I may not be in the lineup every day. Now, there are certain organizations that still throw out that same lineup as much as possible. And I know playing for Tony, he, he will try to keep every player sharp. So once in a while, he'll come up to you and he'll say, hey, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, you're not going to be playing. I, I, need to get, I need to keep everybody sharp. I'm going to let him, I'm going to let somebody else come in and play, play that position tomorrow, give him four at-bats, try to keep him, keep him sharp. And then you'd go to that guy and he'd say, hey, you're playing tomorrow. Be ready to go. And that communication, I think, really helped me be able to handle, uh, you know, being sat down for, for a day or two. Uh, those things. But nothing is like playing out there every day where you can get that rhythm. You know who the pitchers are. You, you've, you've, you've faced them most of the time before. And. You know, and even if you were 0 for 4 the last time you faced them, that didn't, uh, the computer didn't grab me and sit me on the bench like it does now. You know, if you go for 4 against a guy and the next time you play him in another series, that 0 for 4 pops up and that manager is instructed a lot of times that that guy's going to sit. We got time for one more question, Vance. If you have to look back at your, your playing career, and there's one moment that sticks out to you that is fonder than any other moment. What would that be? Uh, uh, just relationships. The relationships, the, the excitement of going to the bat, to the baseball field, uh, the smell of the grass, the popcorn, the fans cheering, just the atmosphere. You can't find that anywhere in real life. I mean, I was living in a... I was living a fantasy. I was living my, my childhood dream. And, you know, that's the thing that I, that stands, that stands out more than anything. And I just think that it's, uh, if I had to talk about a certain play or an event that happened, being named to the all-star team was really a thrill. You know, that was something that people, I had a number of scouts say I would, you know, I would be uh, at best, I'd be a, a second, a second tier player on a second tier team. And so to make an all-star team, to be on a couple of championship teams, as far as winning uh, divisions, we never won a world series, but uh, we were darn close a couple of times, um, you know, to be able to kind of put it back in their face and say, yeah, just give me a chance. Give, mm -hmm. give guys a chance. And that's one thing that I don't care about the draft too much anymore. There's guys like me who's drafted in the 39th round. They'll never get that opportunity to, to show. You know, you just don't. You just don't. After 10, 10 rounds, they pretty well shut it down now. So it's kind of tough to, 
tough to see that because I think there's a lot of good players that, that do get overlooked. And, uh, you know, there's guys that can still play that don't get drafted. And uh, I was one of those guys that even though I got drafted, it was down where hockey players get drafted. So it was, uh, it was a fun, it was a fun time, a fun career, but the relationships are lifelong. Well, Vance, I got to tell you something. I enjoyed watching your career. I remember you very well, obviously. Um, so, you know, I want to thank you for allowing me that time when I was growing up to enjoy watching baseball because of someone like you that played the game. Also want to thank you so very, very much taking time out of your schedule to join us on Frankly Speaking Sports this evening. Thanks so much, Larry. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, again, tell – I'd like to tell the fans thanks for the support over all the years. It's uh, I, I hope this this lockout hasn't soured too many people that they'll get back to watching baseball and and really enjoy what I think is still the greatest game on earth. All right, my friend, stay safe. All right, thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Vance Law, former MLB third baseman. He also was former. Uh, head coach of BYU. Ladies and gentlemen, what an amazing show we had tonight. Just amazing. Reminder, March Madness gets kicked off with the playing games tomorrow. It's here. It's March Madness. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of all of us here on Frankly Speaking Sports and from all our sponsors, have a good night, and we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports.